Today we're, we're back in 1 Corinthians. Jump to chapter 6. I know we started chapter 5 last time. As a matter of fact, we may have preached the whole chapter. I think we did. Uh, but we're going to look at the end of chapter 6. We'll go back to the first part of chapter 6 next week. But we're going to look in verses 12 through 20 today. And this is going to be part 2 of fighting immorality what i believe god is wanting me to do as we continue through first corinthians i'm not so sure that i'm gonna preach verse by verse but we're going to preach issue by issue and if we're going to preach issue by issue we've got to deal with what the scripture says and today we're looking at fighting immorality part two 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20 is the verses we'll cover. We're going to read 18 through 20. Those are the verses we'll read. Back in on, on the 18th of April, we moved from fighting division to fighting immorality. We focused our attention on the immorality that was going on within the church. And we spoke on how on the reality of immorality in the church and the remedy of immorality within the church. Well, today, in keeping this same thought, and we're looking at focusing on the reality of immorality among individuals and the remedy to immorality for individuals. So the difference between April 18th and today is now it's personal. On April 18th, it was about the church. Some may feel they could hide. And I'm think I'm going to just assume that those who may have felt they could hide are those listening. Maybe those listening on Facebook or YouTube. I don't know. I'm not pointing fingers. I don't know your lives any more than you know my life when I'm not around you. So I'm not pointing fingers today. We're going to preach the text. And we're going to see what God has to say to us in the text. Now the attempt here, going through 1 Corinthians, is not to fix what's going on in our church. The attempt is to prevent anything or any of these issues from going on in our church. So instead of accusing you, we're wanting to just think ahead. <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying, we want to think ahead and we want to prepare ahead. I, I've learned that if we, if we fail to prepare, then we prepare to fail. So I think the book of 1 Corinthians helps us to prepare in our walk with Christ. In order for him to be glorified in our lives. The Bible teaches us in verse 18 through 20. It says flee. Flee sexual immorality. I think the King James Version may say fornication. The new King James is saying sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body... But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. <sighs> or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit 
who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for this day you've given us. We thank you for this opportunity to declare your word. Now, God, we ask that you would hide us behind the cross, that you would come forth, that through this message, you would be glorified and your son would be magnified. Help us, God, to be who you would have us to be. Help remind us, God, that we belong to you, that when we gave our life to you, when we surrendered to you, that we're no longer our own, but we are yours. For you to mold us, to shape us, to be what you would have us to be. And God, we'll praise you for all that's accomplished in our lives. Now, God, speak to those who don't know you for the forgiveness of sin, who don't have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. Speak to their hearts. Help them to see that today is the day of salvation. For tomorrow is not promised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, we live in a world <laughs> and we live in a time when self-gratification is not only high on the priority list of individuals, but we're bolder with it than ever before. Can we agree? When you look around in this world, we are, this world is getting awfully bold in the idea that they want what they want. And they want what they want right now, regardless of the cost. The sad thing is, society is encouraging it. The idea that it's just natural for me. Or the idea that I can't help but feel this way. Or this idea of this is just who I am. Is being used to justify self-gratification. And self-gratification almost always leads to immorality. So as we dive in today's text, I want us to clearly see the reality of immorality among individuals. Here in the text, the Apostle Paul is dealing with this issue among the believers in Corinth. He shares that all things are lawful for me. He shares this with them. He's telling them that everything that you can think of, it's lawful to do. And he says it twice in the text. We see that there in verse 12, all things are lawful for me. If you go down to the next sentence, it begins, all things are lawful for me. Twice we hear him say this phrase, but we can't hold on just to that phrase. I'm afraid if we hold on to that phrase and we don't continue to read, we will find ourselves in a mess. Paul, because twice Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but. All things are lawful for me, but. <laughs> Oh, I love these buts in the scripture because they're, they're telling us something that's highly important about what is just being said. 
Paul is saying that all these things are lawful for me, but all are not helpful. But I will not be brought under the power of any. These buts make this huge statement. Yes, this may be natural for for me. Or yes, this may be how I feel. Or yes, this may be who I am. But just because it's lawful for me to live how I want to live, doing what I want to do, doesn't mean it's helpful for me. Doesn't mean it's profitable for me. Doing what I want doesn't mean that that it's the right thing to do. It doesn't mean that I should become a slave to those things that I want to do. As a matter of fact, when we think about what Paul is saying, being enslaved, he is saying here that just because it feels right, it shouldn't own me. Just because it feels natural, it shouldn't control me. Just because you don't like it, but I feel it's just who I was, the way I was born, then he's saying it shouldn't control him. As a matter of fact, listen to what... God says in Genesis 1 and 28, upon creating mankind, God commanded them to subdue or to conquer the earth. In other words, it was God's plan for us to be in control at all times. It wasn't, this wasn't just to be in control over the animals that was created but it was also to be in control of ourselves control of our actions control of our emotions control of our appetites or our desires when he says subdue everything he's saying control what has been created so what exactly is the apostle Paul speaking about here in in these verses When he shares that all things are lawful but not helpful. Or that he should become a slave to it. At the time of his writing, fornication or sexual immorality. And if you're confused about that, what that means is uh, fornication is considered sexual immorality. It's any. And you can cover your children's ears if you want to. It's any sexual acts outside of the confines of of a man and a woman who are married. I'm sure we don't have that going on in our church, but this is what he is speaking about. And he is speaking to a church. We got to make sure we understand Paul's not speaking to the lost. He's speaking to the church. At the time and when Paul was writing this, this fornication or sexual immorality was acceptable practices in society, especially among the Gentile worlds. We spoke briefly last time about the worship 
of the local people centered around the goddess of love, Aphrodite, uh, and the temple of pagan worship that they belonged to, it, that housed a thousand prostitutes. This doesn't happen unless it's acceptable within society. The problem was that in the, these new Gentile believers were bringing these practices within the church. It appears that they justified this behavior by saying something that sounded so, sort of like, well, the body desires food. And we have to feed the body food in order for the body to function properly. So when the body desires sex, we must feed the body sex for the body to function properly. You know what the funny thing is? 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote this and it's still applying today. It's still being used. This same excuse or this same justification, this same argument is being used today. You know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. I have heard it sometimes said by wicked men that they would arraign the justice of the most high, that it is unjust that God should condemn men for the use of powers which he himself has given them. This most subtle evil has often grieved the hearts of those who were weak and ignorant and have not seen its untruthfulness, for to speak plainly of it is a gross lie. God does not condemn men for the use of powers he has given them. He condemns them for the misuse of the powers that he has given them. He condemns them for the misuse of those powers, not for employing them but for employing them as they, ought, as they ought not to be employed. For not thinking, for not speaking, not for doing, not, but for thinking, speaking, and doing contrary to God's law. God damned no man for the use of powers which he had given them. Let that be again repeated. God has not condemned no man. For the use of the powers that God has given them. But he condemns them for the abuse of those powers. And for their impudence and daring to turn those powers in which he has given them for his honor against his service and against his throne. Here it's very clear. God has blessed us. But he's blessed us to use what he has given us in a manner that glorifies him. Well, Paul uses an analogy to help them understand here. He uses the analogy how the body is not designed for the stomach nor for food. Instead the stomach and the food are designed for the body. So the body is to control the stomach and food. It's not to become the slave to food. Now, there's some people who are very, very much better at that than others. Now, my dad, uh, he, he and Brother Alan Hunt are the only two men that I've ever heard state this. And... And I believe it might have something to do with the fact that they were born on the exact same day. They were the exact same age. They were about the exact same size. But both of them had said to me, if I could take a pill and never eat, I would do that rather than eat food. 
Now, I didn't get that handed down to me from my dad. He didn't pass that along because I like food. I like certain foods, Brother Marcus. I like, but I like food. And you can look at me and tell that I, I like to eat. And I, I, I like to get full. My dad had this ability to stop eating when he was no longer hungry. Oh, I wish I'd have got that, but I don't have it. But what Paul is saying here is your, your body wasn't created for your stomach, but your stomach was created for your body. Here, when we look at this, likewise, the body is not designed for fornication or for sexual immorality, but sex is a part of life. It has its place in carrying on the human race. It also has its place in building an intimate and strong union in the foundation of marriage, in the foundation of family. Contrary to popular opinion, it was given for the body. The body was not created for it. The body is not, given, is not to be given over to, to become a slave for sex. The body is to control it, not be controlled by it. 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, Paul said, But I disciplined my body to bring it in subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should not become disqualified. Folks, if we're not willing to discipline our bodies, then we will find ourselves disqualified from any area of ministry. You remember the story of King David's son, Ammon? Ammon didn't control his desire for his lovely sister, Tamar. Ammon and one of his friends, which was actually his cousin, Jonadab, they cooked up this plan for Ammon to pretend to be sick and have Tamar to cook for him and come to his bedside and feed him. But when she came by, she prepared a meal for him. She come to his room to feed him because he said he was too weak to feed himself. He grabbed hold of her. And when he grabbed hold of her, he started to force himself upon her. And when he did start to force himself upon her, she cried out to him to not do this disgraceful thing to her. She tells him, you know that our father will, get, will not hold me from you. In other words, she was saying, if you'll just go talk to the king, he'll give me to you to be your wife. You don't have to do this thing. But he rejected her words and he forced himself upon her. Now, this is a man who prior to this event shared with his friend, his cousin, that he loved her and he was losing weight and he was feeling so bad because he was just desiring her so much. But as soon as he had his way with her, he hated her despised her and sent her away. Ammon became enslaved by his desires and he allowed his desires to be used to disgrace his sister. And because of Ammon's immoral act toward his sister, his brother Absalom, two years later, 
killed Ammon, his brother, to avenge his sister. Folks, the reality is that sexual immorality is a part of society. I can say that based on the fact that abortion today is being used as birth control. I can say that based on the fact that most pharmacies, if not all, are selling the day after pill. I can say that because rape kits are used in every hospital across the nation. We can say this because we teach abstinence rather than prevent. Instead of teaching abstinence, we're teaching prevention in our local schools, in our public school systems. Our health clinics are filled with STDs. You can, we can go on and on because almost every corner of every city you can find stores that are selling filth you can look and there are women who have been prostituted there there are places where they where, where men can go and just just have their feel of their desires it's all over this world and we're allowing our desires to control our body no matter what society says no matter how good we may think it is we are not to allow our bodies to become enslaved by our desires or our appetites when we do this it leads to sin what kind of sin it leads to fornication the sin of adultery the sin of pornography the sin of prostitution it also it also leads to the sin of same sex unions and and transgender there's these there's these sinful uh, sexual assaults there's the sin of exploitation the sin of rape all of these things are out there you know what's the biggest the biggest issue right now in America it's sex trafficking it's all because men do, do not know how to control the desires of their flesh. And what does this leave us with? We're left with a society that's normalizing sin. And in normalizing sin, we're creating hopelessness. Folks, when we feed the appetites of our body, sexual immorality will become a reality. And the boundaries will continue to widen. There are things going on in 2021 that those of you who were born and walking around in 2000 or in 1960, you would have said that would never happened. Not in our community, but it's happening. It scares me. I don't know about you, but it scares me if God continues to allow the world to stand. Well, my grandchildren, and they haven't come into this world yet, what they will face. I'm seeing what my daughter's going to face. But when I think about my grandchildren, and if the world stands long enough for great-grandchildren, what are they going to see? They're going to see filth. Being normalized by our society. But you know, there is good news. <laughs> you know, that, that, that all seemed to be drab and dreary, didn't it? But there's good news. The good news is that God has given us the remedy for immorality for individuals. God's given us the remedy for it. If we look here in the text, we find it, it's simple. And it sounds real simple because the remedy is to flee from it. The remedy for immorality is just to flee from it, to avoid it, to, to stay away from it. When you see it, go the other way. 
In verse 18, we're told to flee sexual immorality or flee fornication. King James uses the word fornication. This is any sexual activity outside the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. You know, we're pushing the boundaries of what marriage actually is. I I don't call same-sex unions marriages because that's not what it is. It's not a marriage between two women and one man or two men and one woman. It's not a marriage between an individual and an animal. These things are not marriages. They're unions and, and our society is continuing to legalize this filth. When God has said marriage is between one man and one woman. And I'm not talking about one who becomes a man or one who becomes a woman. I'm talking about one who God assigned gender at birth. You know, it sounds simple to just flee from it, but, and, and I know it's, I, I know I'm, 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 I'm 50. I'm not 150. I, I know, I know it's not as easy as I'm making it sound that it should be for us, but, but I know some have escaped it and those who have escaped it, you escaped it because of fear of what mom and daddy would do (laughs) or fear of the consequences from engaging in these sexual immoral acts. Uh, But there are better reasons than fear. And the scripture helps us to see better reasons than fear for Christians to flee sexual immorality. Now let's keep in mind again. I said this earlier. Paul is speaking to believers. And as he's speaking to believers. He's saying right now. At this moment. We can't look in the past y'all. We, we, we can't change what's already happened. But right now. Right in this moment. We need to determine that we're going to flee sexual immorality. Moving forward. So Paul says. If you are a Christian, then you're part of the body of Christ. And as being part of the body of Christ, we should not be engaging in sexual immorality. The Bible teaches us that when two become one, they become one flesh. Is that not right? And well, with that being true, if I'm a born again Christian, engaging in sexual immorality... By being a Christian, I'm one with Christ. So I'm engaging Christ in the sexual immorality. That's exactly what Paul was saying. If I belong to him and he belongs to me, if I'm a part of him and he's a part of me, and I engage in sinful activity, then I'm engaging Christ into that sinful activity. Well, that should be reason enough to want to... Flee from this immorality. The fact that we are one spirit with Christ. And he says that there in verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 
You know, this is reason enough itself also. The fact that we are one spirit with him means that we should have the same mind of Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God, the same spirit that descended upon Jesus, the same spirit that Jesus promised would come and comes to live within us. Ephesians 4 and 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed till the day of redemption. When we surrendered our lives to Christ, it wasn't just that he forgave us of our sin. It wasn't just that he cleansed us up and made us right with him but we also committed to him and it was evidenced in our baptism that we would serve him and not ourselves it means that he's our master we are his servant in other words the penalty of our sin was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and now we belong to him therefore our bodies no longer belong to us we belong to God and our bodies are to be used for God's glory in God's glory alone the apostle Paul gives us a great example of this attitude when he he shares with born again believers that we should possess when he pleads to the Romans in his letter in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 Paul says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God Oh, folks, the remedy for immorality is to flee from it. We should run to God for he is our high tower. He is our stronghold. He is our comforter. He is our refuge. He is our strength. And to say that we can't flee from this is to say that we don't have a made-up mind that we belong to him and that we are his. Folks, a lot of things are permissible to us. And the world seems to be telling us more and more to follow our bliss, to do what seems natural, to be happy no matter the cost. You know what I was told? I think I've shared this. I know I've shared it in Bible study. But we were in, we were, when I was in divinity school, and I, this, this just blew my mind. We're in divinity school. People who are being leaders in churches and preparing to lead churches. And we're in a New Testament class under Paul's writings. And they, they, the topic of homosexuality comes up in the, in the class. And one of the preachers, hear me, one of the preachers in the class all but stood up and said, I'm tired of hearing that it's sin. What if they were born that way? You know, I'm 35 years old. I'm sitting in the back and I ain't got nothing to lose. This 23-year-old can't scare me. So I just, I raised my hand. I'd had enough of it. I said, what if they were born that way? Now, you know me. I don't believe they are. Uh, biology doesn't teach it because there's nothing passing through because nobody's born of two women or two men. Brother Jerry helped me to understand that just this week. But I, I want us to understand this. That no matter how they were born, if they were born that way, it doesn't negate the fact that it's sin. I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and God has commanded me to follow after him and not my own self. Amen. 
You know, if we follow our bliss, we're going to fall into temptation. If we do what's natural, we're not only going to fall into temptation, but we're going to succumb to it. And we're going to be engaged in immorality. If we seek happiness, no matter the cost, it's going to cost us our lives here on earth and our eternity. But if we purpose to not defile ourselves with the things of this world, if we purpose not to engage in sexual immorality, if we purpose to glorify God with our bodies, then we will experience joy and peace and comfort and strength. We will display patience and kindness and faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, we said earlier that Paul was writing to believers and it appears that he is giving instructions from where they are at and moving forward that there's just so much. There's just so much I don't know about us as individuals. And there's some things, trust me, I don't want to know. <laughs> there's some things I don't want to know. And there's some things you don't want to know about me, I'm pretty sure. Uh, the, but you know that God knows. <laughs> I know that God knows. I'm not hiding nothing. God knows everything about me. He knows my failures. He knows my faults. He knows my, my laziness. He knows my contempt. He knows everything about me. And he knows everything about you. He's our judge. I'm not here to judge anybody today. But I'm here to plead that we all commit right now that from this day forward that our bodies will be used for God's glory and not for sexual immorality. As every head's bowed, every eye's closed, for you who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today would be a great day for you to surrender yourself to him. Today, you can become a brand new creation. Your former things can be wiped away and all things from here to eternity can become brand new. Giving your life to Jesus, committing your body for, his, for, for witnessing of him, for working for him, for the worship of him will bring glory to God. And that is what you were created for. So my question to you who are lost, do you today, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life? For your sin, he died in your place. And on the third day that God raised him out of the grave, conquering death, hell, and the grave, do you know that you are lost and in need of a savior do you believe that if you receive Jesus by faith that he will forgive you of all your sin and the greatest question right now I can ask you is are you willing to surrender your life to him on one occasion a man came to Jesus and said, 
Oh, I want to follow you. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay my head. Are you sure you want to follow me? On another occasion, a man came by and said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, come on. And he said, but let me go first bury my father. Jesus' reply was, let the dead bury the dead. On another occasion, a young man, a young rich ruler come to him. Oh, I want to follow you. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And he said, keep all the commandments. In his brash and arrogance, the young man said, I've done all of this. Jesus said, well, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he left dejected. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. If you believe, the question is, are you ready to pick up your cross and follow him? Understanding that the cross is the most gruesome the most gruesome thing anyone ever experienced. Are you ready to pick up what the world's going to do to you? Are you ready to pick up what Satan's going to bring before you and follow Jesus?